I take you now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and I'm starting at verse 15 through 21. Jesus was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you for being here today in person and at home. This is the first Sunday as we begin to live into our call from Jesus to be bridge builders of his hope where faith and mental illness can connect. We have come to ask Jesus for his guidance and his grace, his healing, his love, his compassion, that we may deeply and with great intention from this day forward love all of our neighbors as he has commanded us as his Christian church, his body on earth, to do and to be his love. However, before we dare to begin to build that bridge, we must own the painful truth that the Christian church who bears his name, Jesus Christ, has unjustly kept silence when those who struggle with mental illness right in our very midst, who hoped and prayed to encounter Jesus when they came through the doors of the Christian church since the moment it began and didn't find Jesus, but found rejection and isolation and a negative stigma that came in from the world into the doors of the Christian church. So today, on behalf of the Christian church, in my voice, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask Jesus, on behalf of the Christian church, for his forgiveness. And I know that when you ask for forgiveness, and you vow to repent and turn around, that you are forgiven, and then you are called to move forward. And so I choose to use these first moments after that confession to pick up the first tool that we'll need to begin to build that bridge between faith and mental illness, which is a very large sledgehammer. 
Samson prayed for strength, and so do we. And by his grace, we will swing it down hard and break the chain of silence today. It is time for us to listen and to hear the needs of those with mental illness. And in that effort, I offer you my letter to the Christian Church on behalf of those I have served for 29 years who battle and struggle with mental illness throughout the course of my ministry. My words, their voice to the Christian Church. Dear Church, can I tell you something that's really important to me? Because I need you more than you'll ever know. I need you to be near me because life can be so lonely. I need you to teach me right from wrong because integrity matters in a world with shaky absolutes. I need you to guide me because sometimes it feels like I'm walking in the dark. I need you, church. I need you to admit when you're wrong because I need to know that you're human. Hey, church. I need you to initiate time with me simply to know that I'm worth the effort. I need you to teach me when to stand firmly, when to speak boldly, when to sit quietly, because I need you, church. But most importantly, I need to see Jesus in you, on the inside of you, on the outside of you, in your moments of great success and in your moments of failure. Church, I need to see Jesus in you, through you, and at times on your worst moments, even in spite of you. And I know this is a long list of needs, but I know you can do this, church. I know that God's grace will carry you when you feel unclear and uncertain. So thank you for your love, church. Thank you for your courage. I love you. And I will always serve Jesus through serving you. Sincerely, your partner in ministry, Kelly. Why do this series now? <laughs> because mental health challenges us how to impact our daily lives. It, it's everywhere. It's in our relationships. It's in our jobs. It's in our community. It's in our school. It's everywhere. One in every five of us right now in this sanctuary are struggling with mental illness, with fears of being judged and rejected and alone. However, the Bible has a loud voice for those who God has called and used in a mighty way through their own struggles with mental illness. Paul's thorn in his side, King Solomon's depression, Mary Magdalene's seven demons, some believed to be psychological, the prophet Elijah, who was so weary in his soul, he prayed for God to take his life and King Saul, who took it himself. Even David, described by God as a man after God's own heart, experienced periods of guilt over the bad decisions that he made. While at other times, he, he experienced this tremendous grief 
at so many deaths of friends and loved ones, his two sons. It's described that he laid on the ground for over a week, not eating, not drinking, not getting up, praying, so sad. It was described as just catatonic, unable to care for himself. That's not just grief, that's depression. And we hear his words from Psalm 40. And then God drew me up from the desolate pit. Connects the way people in mental illness describe their symptoms. There is the difference between situational sadness because of outside circumstances that we cannot control and mental illness so severe that we can't pull ourselves alone out of it. My guilt has overwhelmed me, prayed King David, like a burden too heavy to bear. In many of the Psalms, he writes in anguish and loneliness and fear of his enemy, this heart cry over sin. Other places in scripture, we see David's honesty with his own weaknesses where he owns his own behavior and he prays for God to turn him around right. And then by doing that, he gives us hope in the struggle. Isaiah 41, so do not fear, says God, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed because I am your God and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand because you see, no matter where you have been, no matter where you are right now in your head and your heart or where you are going, God is with you. God is there. We can learn to live in the certainty of God's love in the uncertainty of this world. And that is a matter of faith and grace. Jesus showed us this. Jesus, God's only son, in the New Testament, both fully human and fully God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who experiences pain, so much pain, because he was fully human. He cried at the death of his best friend, Lazarus. He prayed in the garden so hard he was flat on his face with his nails digging in the dirt, asking God to take the cup away from him, and then said, but thy will be done. And yet Jesus is our great physician who has the healing power over our minds and bodies and we see Jesus' mission and his purpose. At the very beginning of his ministry, when he returns home to Nazareth, and imagine the scene when he comes through this, when he comes through town and he recognizes all the neighbors and they're saying, Hey Jesus, hey Jesus, hey, isn't that Joseph and Mary's boy? Because they don't yet know. Until they invite him to church on Sunday, the synagogue and the temple. And like a seminary intern that we have that comes back, back to preach, he stands up and everybody can't wait to see him look like, sound like, feel like a prophet. So he opens the scriptures. And of course it lands on this prophecy from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then when he finished, 
he basically looked them in the eye and said, it's me. I'm the Messiah. Mic drop. As followers of Jesus, what does this Bible passage mean now in light of mental illness? The Bible wants us to remember that Jesus is here with us, with you and me. And this is a repeated promise in the Bible, vital to remember to all of us, vital to remember as we support others. People with both physical and mental ailments come from all around for help to Jesus, and they come to be cured by him. That faith component is essential to the healing process of mind, body, and soul. And there's so much stigma around mental illness. I believe that God is calling us to be stigma busters. At this point in the Bible, Jesus helps the blind men see. And what's incredible is not the miracle that they seem to miss because he, he heals them. He heals him. But what they believe is that the reason he was blind from birth is that his parents had sinned or he had sinned or God had punished him. Mental illness and physical ailments are not punishable by God. And Jesus says very clearly, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We cannot allow the stigma of negativity to enter the world of Jesus and his church. Now, what do we know about mental illness today? There are some people who think that only people with mental illness have to pay attention to their mental health. But the truth is that your emotions and your thoughts and your attitudes affect your energy, your productivity, your overall health. And good mental health strengthens your ability to cope with everyday hassles, with more serious crises and challenges. Good mental health is as essential to creating the life you want. So there's a difference between when people say mental health and they say mental illness. So in mental health, that's the foundation for our emotions, our thinking, our communication, our learning, our resilience, our self-esteem. Mental health is also the key to our relationships, personal and emotional well-being, contributing to community or society. It involves functioning in our daily lives, and it means that we're productive at work or school, caregiving. We have healthy relationships. We have the ability to adapt, to change, and cope with hardship. Mental illness is a general term for a group of illnesses that may include symptoms that can affect a person's thinking, perceptions, their mood, their behavior. And mental illness can make it difficult for some people to cope with work and relationships and other demands. And stress is known to bring on an episode even worse. But there is hope. Because many people can manage their mental illness with education and medication and therapy and a solid support system. 
Someone this week asked me to share what some of the most common disorders are right now in the United States. And the most common are these, anxiety disorders, social phobias, example would be claustrophobia, panic disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, untreated anxiety. The next one is behavioral and emotional disorders in children. They could have oppositional defiant disorder, they could have conduct disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you might know as ADHD. There's bipolar affective disorder. It's a type of mood disorder, previously referred to as manic depression, which means that a person with bipolar can have manic episodes where they're really high or they're really low. And then there's depression. Depression is a mood disorder. And it can come as something very mild. It can come as something very severe. And it's not just feeling sad. There are different types of symptoms for depression. There's various severity that comes with depression and symptoms. It can actually lead to suicidal thoughts. And then there's something called disassociation or disassociative disorders. And that means the mental process by which you disconnect your thoughts and your feelings and your memories and your sense of identity from actually who you are. And then there's eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorders, eating disorders that affect both males and females. They can have serious psychological and physical consequences. And then there's obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD and anxiety disorder, where you can actually become obsessed with reoccurring thoughts, rituals that you do that you have to have or things won't be settled inside your spirit. Paranoia, the feeling that everyone's out to get you. And then post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a mental health condition that can develop as a response to people who have experienced tremendous trauma. Those are the top nine that are happening in the United States today in one out of five of us. So many people who have mental illness, they don't want to talk about it. Mental illness is nothing to be ashamed of and that's part of breaking the silence. It is a medical condition, just like a heart disease or diabetes and mental health conditions are treatable. We're continually expanding our understanding of how the human brain works, treatments that are available to people to help them successfully manage their condition. And one of our church members this week sent me a text. And she said this, I'm very pleased to hear about your sermon series. Just got back from my 25-year-old nephew's funeral. He had no mental health safety net, so he took care of things himself. I heard from 11 others who said they were so glad that we were talking about this very topic, that we were hearing what the Bible had to say in Jesus. And I was surprised because I didn't know any of their stories. 
And so it shows the need for us to bring this to Christ, to address it as a Christian church. Mental illness, too, it doesn't discriminate, right? It can affect anyone regardless of your age or your gender, geography, income, social status, race, ethnicity, religion, spirituality, sexual orientation, background, or other aspect of cultural identity. And while mental illness can occur at any age, three-fourths of all mental illness begins by age 24. So mental illness can take many forms, some mild to only um, interfering in a limited way in your daily life. Other mental health conditions can be so severe, you may have to be in the hospital for a period of time. One out of five children experience mental illness today in the United States. And in 2020, there were 47,511,000 people who took their lives in the United States. Feelings of loneliness can, be, can feed into hopelessness. And that means every one of us knows someone who is experiencing mental illness, and no one should go through a mental illness crisis alone. We all need a support system of family and friends, mental health professionals, support groups, faith communities in challenging times. And it's time for faith and mental illness to connect. It's time to build a bridge of hope which reflects God's story of love and redemption, that we encounter Jesus who is the light in any darkness that can accompany mental illness. And he reminds us, and I would ask you to repeat after me, I am loved. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am the Lord's. I am steeped in God's grace. I am called to follow Jesus. When a church opens their hearts and their doors to people with mental illness, commit to walk with them on their path toward wellness, suffering is reduced, connections grow, people may see for the first time in their life that they belong to a community that knows their name, that prays for them, that shows up for them, and here at RGPC, we have Stephen ministers, lay people who went through 50 hours of training, who continue to meet twice a month for ongoing education and supervision. And each Sunday in these series, you heard Kate announce in the chapel, if you'd like to pray with someone, they will be there. And why do we have Stephen ministers? Because the data shows the benefits of peer support for individuals and for groups like our caregiver support group, they show a greater reduction of mental illness, hospitalizations, and relapses. Imagine the power of the people and the presence. So today in your insert, aside from that resource, you have a postcard with a beautiful passage of hope upon it. And I know that every single one of us knows someone who's battling a mental illness who's going through a difficult time and I would like to encourage you to write a little note on that postcard 
and to put a stamp on it and to mail it off that you too can begin just as I'm sure you're already doing loving our brothers and sisters who suffer from mental illness for we are all God's masterpiece God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works we are not our diagnoses we are children of God wonderfully made and as we get ready to come to God's table of grace let us remember Jesus's call to compassion and what he has called us to do let us remember our mothers and our fathers, our sisters and our brothers, our husbands and wives, our children and grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our classmates, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers who are hungering for justice in the stigma-busting battle. And let us always remember them so we can sit with them, so we can stand with them, so we can advocate for them so we can listen to them and walk with them and fight for them because there is no longer them, there is us. Our redeeming God has met us here in our brokenness. He folds us in his love and promises to be in every one of our tomorrows. God be the glory, amen.